about the love of God. He's uh, told us that God's love has been poured into our hearts by the Spirit, but now he shows us in verse 6 and 8, not only is this love something we've been told about, something we've experienced, but it is something God has demonstrated once and for all in the death of his Son. That's the whole point of verses 6 through 8, is how God has demonstrated his love for us in the death of his son. He doesn't mention the word love in verse 6 or in verse 7, but that's behind what he's saying. And he brings that word out again in verse 8 when he says, God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. So this is the connection between verse 5 and verse 6. Is Paul is telling us further about this love of God that we have received, that we have tasted that we have experienced. And here's how that love has been demonstrated, Paul says. When we were unlovely, God loved us. He says in verse 6 that we were, we were weak. We were not strong. We were not impressive. We were weak. And he says at the end of verse 6 that we were ungodly. In our attitudes, in our behaviors, in our lifestyle, in our priorities, in everything about us, we were at odds with God. We were the opposite of what God wanted us to be. Our priorities were the opposite of what God's were. Our loves were the opposite of what God's were. Our behavior was the opposite of God's character. We were ungodly. We were the opposite of what God had uh, designed us to be as we are image bearers of God, made in the likeness of God. We were supposed to be reflecting His glory, His character, His goodness, His grace, but we were doing the exact opposite. So we were unlovely, and yet despite that, Paul says, that was when Jesus died for us. He did not wait for us to clean ourselves up. He did not wait for us to become more lovely, more admirable. admirable. You know, I, I think I could like you, maybe even love you if you just adjust a few things, you know, clean this up, change that about yourself. We're, we're getting there. You know, that, that's not how Jesus looked at it. Even though we were ungodly, even though we were weak, even though we were not what God had called us and designed us to be, despite our sin and rebellion against God, Jesus laid down his life for us in the ultimate act of love. Now here's, here's what's so significant about that. Paul says in verse 7, he says, you know, one will scarcely die for a righteous person. Though perhaps for a good person, one would dare even to die. And some people want to kind of divide the righteous person from the good person and, and make those two distinct things. I don't really think Paul is talking about two different kinds of people. I think he's just using synonyms, just two slightly different words to talk about the same kind of thing. And what he's saying is, you know, even if you knew somebody who was a good, upstanding citizen, you know, a good person that people like to have around, even for that guy, it's pretty rare that somebody would be willing to lay down their life for him. Occasionally. But not very often. You know, a Somebody, uh, to make that kind of sacrifice, that just doesn't happen very often, even for good people, even for admirable people. But we weren't admirable people in God's eyes. We were not righteous. We were not holy. We were not godly. 
That's why he says in verse 8, but God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. So it would be a tremendous act of love to lay down your life for a good person. That would be a tremendous act of love. We we honor that kind of thing. That's the kind of thing that ends up on the news and the newspaper and people tell those stories over and over and over of how this person was willing to lay down their life for somebody. And we've we've heard some stories like that. Unfortunately, there have been some bad situations where some people have been willing to step in front of trouble to save other people's lives. And we rightly admire people who do that because we recognize that as an act of love and sacrifice. What Paul is saying is we're the bad guys. We're the enemies of God. We were the, we were the sinners. We were the rebels. We weren't good. We weren't lovely. We weren't admirable. And even while we were sinners, even while we were shaking our fist at God, Jesus laid down his life for us. I think about the verse where Jesus told his disciples in John 15, verse 13. Jesus said to them, he's about to go to the cross, and he says, Greater love has no one than this, that someone lays down his life for his friends. That's true. Jesus did count his disciples as his friends. And it was an extreme act of love for him to lay down his life for his disciples. What Paul is reminding us is, Just because Jesus called us friends and called his disciples friends before he went to the cross doesn't mean that uh, it really makes sense for Jesus to have laid down his life for us. We we weren't really very friendly to him, right? At least if we're talking about us. His disciples were, most of them at that point, right? But but not us. He's counted us friends even though we were enemies is what Paul is reminding us. Even though we were sinners, even though we were rebels, even though we were um, opposed to God, even hostile to God, He has loved us. I mean, think about it this way. If you have a rebellious, prodigal child, maybe some of you do, maybe some of you have, a rebellious, prodigal child who is breaking your heart, who is seemingly trying to undo every good thing you've tried to do for them, rejecting every good thing you have tried to train them up to do, crushing you with every decision that they make. If you find out that that rebellious child is in trouble and in danger, wouldn't you still give up your right arm for them, give up your heart for them, give up your very life for them if you could. Why? Because they're your child. You love them despite all that they're doing. That is the kind of love that Paul is saying God has shown for us, only much richer and much deeper and much greater. Because there may be, even in the most loving parent, a little hesitation and being willing to give up that much for the prodigal child. At least a little hesitancy. Because, you know, there's a part of you that knows they probably deserve what they're getting. Right? But Paul tells us, even as profound as our love for our kids is, God's love is greater. God's love is deeper. God's love is wider. Wider. 
God loves us greater than anybody else could ever love us, greater than our parents could ever love us, greater than our spouses could ever love us. His love is unchanging. His love is faithful. And He has shown us the riches of His love in sending His Son to die for us even when we did not deserve it, even when we were His enemies. Now it's good to tell someone that you love them. It's good for God to tell us that He loves us. But uh, we all know, I've learned at some point, that sometimes a, a word is not enough. Right? Just to tell someone you love them, um, that's good. You shouldn't neglect to do that, but that's, that doesn't cut it. right? You need to show them by your actions, by um, your behavior, maybe by gifts and all kinds of different things, acts of service. You show your spouse, you show your kids, you show your friends, you show your family members that you love them. And that's what God has done for us. Right? So it's not just that God has said in the Bible, I love you. God has shown us in the most tremendous act of self-sacrifice the world has ever known or that we could ever conceive that He loves us. When you are uncertain or doubting the love of God, when you need to be reminded that God is for you and not against you, when you are wondering what God's posture is really towards you, Paul is saying, look at the cross. Because on the cross, God is saying to you, I know you're messed up. I know you're not perfect. I know you're broken. I know you make mistakes. I know you do things that are foolish. I sent my son for you despite all of that and even because all of that. I gave him up so your foolishness and sin and rebellion could be forgiven. I sent my son so that you would know that even when you do something that you ought not to have done, that does not change my love for you. I knew about all that when I sent him for you. You were in the middle of all that mess when I sent him for you. Do not doubt that I love you even when you feel like you've acted a fool. The cross is there to show us in the plainest and profoundest way that God loves us even in the depths of our sin. He does. He does. But more than that, God sa- uh, Paul says, that the love of God uh, also persuades us of our future salvation. What God has done to show His love in the past is also there to persuade us that He will take care of us in the future. So look at verse 9. He says, Since therefore we have now been justified by His blood. Now that's almost the same thing He said in verse 1. right? He's reminding us, I've just been telling you all through chapter 3 and chapter 4 that because of the death of Jesus... All of you who believe in Him, you've been justified. That means your sins have been forgiven and you've been counted righteous in God's sight, even though you were ungodly. Now he says, because we know that's true, because we've been justified by His blood, he says, middle of verse 9, much more, 
Shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God? Now, what is Paul talking about there? What he's saying is, okay, you know that right now your sins have been forgiven and God has said, you're mine and you're righteous in my sight. Well, that's really good. But we also know that there is a day coming when everyone is going to have to give an account to God for how they've lived and what they've done and what they've said. And there is coming a day when God's wrath is going to be poured out on everyone who has lived in rebellion against God and has not repented. How are you going to fare on that day? How's it going to go for you on that day? We've all got to ask that question. We've all got to think about that. What Paul is saying is, because you have had your sins forgiven, because you have been declared righteous through the death of Jesus, even while you were a sinner, how much more do you think that God is going to deliver you and save you on the last day, the day of judgment, the day of His wrath? Should you have anything to fear then? Should you have anything to fear as you approach that day? Paul says, no, absolutely not. You have even more reason to be confident of his salvation then because of what he has already done for you. Now, how does that that work? Why is Paul thinking that way and expecting us to think that way? He explains the logic of this in verse 10. So he says, for if while we were enemies... We were reconciled to God by the death of His Son. Much more, now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by His life. In other words, if while you were shaking your fist at God, He sent His Son to die so you could be His friend, now that you're His friend, you've been reconciled to Him, don't you think He's going to save you from His wrath at the end? Of course He is! He's got no more obstacles to overcome like he did in the beginning. In the beginning, he sent his son for you even though you were ungodly. Now he's changed you and made you new. You're a new creation. You have a new heart. You have a new life. You have a new character. You have new desires and new loves. And you're not perfect. But man, you're a whole lot better off than you were before. Don't you think now much more he will save you from what is to come? Of course he will. Let's say you have a friend, you have one good friend, and you go through a really rough season in your life. Just nothing is going your way. You lose your job, you lose your house, you're afraid you're going to lose your family, you are stressed out to the max your world is crumbling all around you, and out of all that anxiety and fear, you act out in anger toward everybody around you, and you destroy this one precious friendship that you have. You just drive this person away. They don't even want to talk to you or be around you anymore because you're such a mess and taking it all out on them. But they're your friend, and they know you're in trouble. And despite all the terrible things you've said to them and done to them in this horrible season of your life, because they know the kind of trouble that you're in and because they love you, they step in, hire you at their company, help you take care of your debts, 
let you come over for dinner, talk about all the struggles, bring you and your wife together, help you reconcile. They go through all the hoops, doing all they can to help you through this terrible, awful season despite all the things that you're doing. Don't you think that once you come out of, the, of that on the other side and you apologize and you tell them how sorry you are for all the ways you took out stuff on them that they didn't deserve and you go several years of demonstrating that you're not just being nice to them because of how they helped you but that you genuinely love them and value their friendship, don't you think that if you got in a little bit of a bind down the road that you could ask them for help and be confident that they'd be willing to help you? Because when you were just acting like a fool, he helped you. Now that everything is good, don't you think it'd be even easier for him to say, yeah, of course, I'll do whatever I can for you. That's what Paul is saying. God loved us and saved us when we were acting like fools. When we were running away from him as fast as we could. Now that we are in fellowship with Him, seeking to follow Him, seeking to honor Him and please Him, don't you think He's going to take care of everything else? Of course He is. Of course He is. We have no need to doubt or wonder about God's commitment to us in the future because He has so fully and faithfully demonstrated in the past His love for us when He had so much less reason to love us. Now things are good. We have peace with God. We stand in the position of receiving grace from God. We have reason to rejoice in God. Of course, now God will deliver us. And then Paul has one more thing that he wants us to know in verse 11. He says, more than that, so building on top of that as well, more than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. In other words, a lot of what Paul has been talking about up to this point is things that we can rejoice in about the future. The rejoice in hope of the glory of God, he says in verse 2. We know we're going to see God face to face. We know we're going to share His glory. We're looking forward to that day so we have joy because of that. We can rejoice even now in our suffering when things are hard because we know that suffering is growing in us even more confidence, even more hope that we are going to get to see and share in the glory of God in the future. But he says we don't only have reason to rejoice in the future, we have reason to rejoice right now because though we were enemies, we have been reconciled to God and so even now we have fellowship with God. We've been counted like a Abraham as friends of God. We're on good terms. There's no longer hostility, animosity. When we come before God in prayer, in worship, we don't have to wonder how He feels about us. We don't have to wonder if He's glad to see us or if He wishes we would leave Him alone or go somewhere else. We've been reconciled to Him. All that. All that hostility, all that animosity, all that division is gone. Right? Go, go back to the, the illustration of that friend who you treated so badly, who eventually you reconciled with and, and uh, restored your friendship. Don't you think four, five, six years down the road, if you still, every time you got together for lunch or something, you said, oh man, you know, 
so glad you're, you know, willing to put up with me and after everything I did. Eventually he would say, just get over it. I'm over it. That's behind us. We're friends. I love you. You love me. We are doing this thing together. Forget about that stuff. Let's enjoy the fact that we're friends. That's what Paul is saying. We now have joy because we know all that stuff that was uh, creating hostility between us and God, was separating us from God, all that sin, it's all been done away with. We've been reconciled to Him. His love has been demonstrated for us in the most deep and profound way it could ever have been demonstrated. And so we have every reason to have confidence that right now and in the future, God is 100% for us so that we have nothing to fear from Him. He's not going to abandon us. He's not going to leave us. He's not going to forsake us. He's not going to let that hope that we have in Him put us to shame. Well, you shouldn't have hoped that much in me. I'm not going to come through. No. No. Let the assurance of God's love for you demonstrated through the cross remove from you all fear, all doubt, all anxiety, and strengthen your hope and fill you with joy both in the present and for the future. That's what the cross is there to do.